This is One Oak Church. We exist to share the hope of Jesus. No matter who you are or where you're at in life, you are welcome. Our mission is simple, to bring people that are far from God close to Him. Tune in as Pastor Robbie Emery shares how we change the world by loving God and loving others. As you can tell, we're in the middle of a series entitled Miracles, and we're taking the five weeks, the five Sundays in July, and talking about miracles. We believe here at One Oak Church that we serve a God who's still doing miracles. And if he's ever done a miracle, he can still do a miracle today. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And our hope is that through this series that your faith will rise and that the miracle that you're searching for and needing in your life that you will find and that you will see God even in your everyday experiences. I I believe that you have to believe in blessing before you receive a blessing and ultimately be a blessing. You have to believe in it. Then you can receive it and then you can go be one. I wrote this down this week that joy is not getting what you want. It's truly fully appreciating what you already have. That's joy. God, if you never did another thing for me, man, you've already done so much for me already. If you've never blessed me with anything else, God, you've already done above I could ever ask or imagine in my life up to this point. I can't imagine, God. So I say thank you. I appreciate everything I already have. So I want you to stand with me today. We're going to read just one verse of scripture here. We're going to read a few verses found in John, and we're journeying through the book of John and the miracles that John recorded and what John talked about. Over the next few weeks, we'll share different miracle experiences in the Word of God, and I hope to stretch your thinking today. I hope to expand some of your thoughts today and, and get you on this faith journey. Ultimately, I believe that I'm called to be a tour guide not a travel agent, a tour guide, to take you places, to take you on your next steps. The Brayleys are here sitting on the front row today, and they're a part of our Next Steps team, and they help organize what the next steps are. In fact, on July 22nd, there is an important next step that many of you are going to be taking, and that is water baptism. We're going to have Baptism Sunday on that day, and on that Sunday, I'll be talking about baptism and you taking your next steps and what it means to go public with your decision to follow Christ. Many of us have made that private decision to say yes to Jesus and to follow him, but baptism is saying, I'm going public with that declaration. I'm letting others know that this is my step. It's the wedding ring of Christianity. My wedding ring doesn't make me married. It simply shows that I am. Baptism doesn't make you saved. It simply shows who you follow you follow Jesus Christ. And so on July 22nd, two weeks from today, I encourage you, make that step, be water baptized, and see what God will do in your world. John 14 and 12 says this, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Jesus, really? I'm gonna do what you do? And they will do even greater things than these. I'm gonna do what you do but greater than what you do, because I'm going to the Father. It's one of those verses that we tend to rationalize a little bit in Scripture. Now, we, we want to we know what exactly it means, and so I want to show you. If you follow Jesus, you'll do what he did. If you follow Jesus, one is you seek to please the Heavenly Father first and foremost. You'll care for the poor. 
You'll wash feet and you'll offend some Pharisees along the way. You'll also traffic in the miraculous. You won't just be an eyewitness to the miraculous, you'll be a catalyst. Believe me when I say you are someone else's miracle, Dave Cantel. Make no mistake about it. Only God can perform miracles. So God gets all the glory. But as you'll hear in the sermons in the coming weeks, nearly every miracle has a human element. Sometimes you need to step into the Jordan River like the priests of Israel before God will part the waters. And sometimes you need to wade into the Jordan seven times like Naaman before you're healed. Only God could miraculously heal Naaman's leprosy, but he would have to be forfeited the miracle if he would have just positioned himself and repeated it in obedience. He kept on doing it. He kept on doing what the Lord had said. Sometimes you'll fill pitchers of water or offer up your lunch. We all have a part to play. So while some miracles take only a single step of faith, others require multiple attempts. But whether it's ankle deep or waist deep, you've got to wade into the Jordan River. Sometimes you've got to do the natural before God will do the supernatural. Not only do I want to witness a miracle, but I want to work in a miracle. I don't want to just see one. I want to be a part of one. God, if you're going to use anybody to help facilitate your work, God, use me. Let me be your hands and let me be your feet. Let me be the catalyst for someone to see you. Truly, that's what being a part of a miracle is. You can be a part of a miracle every day of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this day that you've made, God, and we stand here today rejoicing and glad in it. God, truly, we are a blessed people because of you. I thank you, God, for everyone who's here today, every new friend and every faithful member of One Oak Church. I pray, God, that they would see your work in their life every day and that there's miracles happening all around them and that, God, we could be a part of it. We could be the catalyst for it. I pray, God, that you would do a work in this room today and that lives would be changed and that when we leave here, God, we would say truly the presence of the Lord was here and we're gonna say thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, all God's people said, amen. High five somebody as you're seated. I, I, grew, I was born in 1978, so I grew up as an 80s, 90s kid. And uh, growing up in that time, uh, we, we, of course, we had a television in our home. And back then, you know, the television, I don't know if you ever had one of these televisions, but our television was actually a piece of furniture. You ever have one of those TVs in your home? It was, it was a wood box all around it. This thing was like, it weighed like 8,000 pounds. It was so heavy. It was huge. And, and, and we, had, we had one of those and that one went out. That one broke. It didn't work anymore. And so instead of getting rid of it, because it was so hard to get rid of, we just got a new one and sat it on top of the old one. How many ever did that? And so that's how we, we worked. And we didn't have a, a VCR, a video cassette recorder back in the day. So we, we rented it from the video store. I don't know why. I don't know if it was like $3 to rent or $30 to buy. I don't know why we rented a VCR, but we would rent one. I remember doing that. And we were big on like, because it was just me, my brother, my dad, my mom, the house, just a bunch of boys. We were big on like the Rambo films. How many watched Rambo back in the day? Come on, some Sylvester Stallone fans. I watched Rambo. And so in watching Rambo, 
I was intrigued by all of Rambo's special skills. Like he had some special skills. And, and so one of his special skills, Jared, was that he was able to set traps. He, he had this knife, Vince. This knife was crazy. And, and I, I don't know, I, 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 had to, I wanted the knife when I was a kid, but my dad would never buy me the knife because he knew, I, he, maybe he knew what I would do with that knife. And so um, so I never grew up with knives, and, and I'm working around the church. Um, I, some of the men of the church asked me, do you have a knife? And I said, no, I don't have a knife. And so my birthday was a couple months ago, and I got three knives for my birthday. Mark Ruman, who's in the back, bought me this knife. I don't know what this is for, gutting deer. I don't know. Um, but if he bought me this knife, I can't even close it. It's extremely dangerous, so I'll just leave it right there. I don't know. I'll cut my finger off. Here, here catch. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I don't want to do that. Um, but, like, I would watch these watch these movies, uh, and, and, and Sylvester Stallone, and, and growing up watching Chuck Norris. How many want Chuck Norris, right? He loves me some Chuck Norris, right? Texas Ranger, right? And, uh, and so uh, when Alexander Bell invented the telephone, he had three missed calls from Chuck Norris. Um, <laughs> fear of spiders is arachnophobia. Fear of tight spaces is claustrophobia. And fear of Chuck Norris is called logic. Um, there used to be a street named Chuck Norris, but it changed because nobody crosses Chuck Norris and lives. In our home, yeah, that was a good sermon, right? Like, amen, altar call, time to go. But we, and watching, like, you had Chuck Norris, and then you had Sylvester Stallone, and, and then there was this one movie that we watched, and it was as a kid, and you probably never watched this movie, but it was called Goonies, and, and I love Goonies, right? <laughs> yeah, Goonies. Is, and I liked Goonies because it wasn't like, there weren't, it wasn't a bunch of muscular men or karate dudes, it was just kids, just kids, and, and so they had these kids who were trying to find this treasure to save their neighborhood and their homes, ultimately, and you had this one kid who was all about booby traps, see, that's what he would call me, all about traps and setting trip wires and able to do that, and, I, and looking at, remembering that movie and talking to my kids about that movie, I believe there are two trip wires, that wires that keep us from stepping into the miraculous. Number one, the first is subliminal skepticism. Let me tell you what subliminal skepticism is. Miracles, by definition, are a violation of natural laws. We instinctively object to any such violation. Why? Because miracles are not logical. And our natural tendency is to explain away why, what we can't explain. So we try to come up with logic. We try to come up with scenarios why this happened. And we try to explain it away. And Maybe you've been burned by some previous leadership or false faith projected through the midnight television airwaves or whatever. But skepticism is a predisposition toward disbelief that is prejudiced by past experience. So I prejudge a miracle today or tomorrow, prejudice, I prejudge based on past experiences or past hurts. See, skeptics throw the baby out with the bathwater because they cannot filter out what is false. The Bible is our filter. If something doesn't pass the filter test, spit it out. But here, listen to this. Don't let the existence of what is false keep you from believing what is true. Ah, you have to get that today. Don't let the existence of what is false keep you from believing what is true. And the truth is this. God can do now what he did then. If you cut the miracles out, you cut Christianity off 
at the knees. So subliminal skepticism. The second tripwire is dormant disappointment. Maybe you've prayed for a miracle, but it feels like God didn't hear a word you had to say. I can't explain why some prayers aren't answered. When we ask her why some miracles don't happen that we want, I don't know. I don't have the answers for that. But it's a mistake to allow a single disappointment to make you throw the miracle towel out altogether. Disappointment is a knee-jerk reaction. We pull back on the reins of faith because we don't want to feel that sting of disappointment again, right? That's why I don't, if I pray that, what if it doesn't get answered? So I'm not even going to pray that. I'm not going to expect it. I'm not going to believe that at all because I believed so for it so long ago and it just didn't happen. In 1911, a Swiss psychologist named Edward was treating a 47-year-old patient with no short-term memory. At the beginning of every appointment, he would stretch out his hand and greet this 47-year-old patient. They would shake hands. They would greet each other, and after a few minutes, she would have no recollection of their meeting, and so it would happen all over again. One day, he decided to test this short-term memory loss, no short-term memory, by sticking a attack in his hand. And he put a tack in his hand, and when he reached out to grab her hand and she did his, she was pricked by the tack. It hurt. And so she immediately pulled back, and after a few minutes, she no longer had a recollection of that meeting. But the next time they saw each other, when he stuck out his hand, she would no longer greet him with a handshake. Because what she failed to remember in the greeting, she remembered the pain of the connection. There was a pain remembrance. There was a reaction because she had felt something before. She couldn't remember it totally. She knew she had something familiar there, but she reacted in such a way that she pulled back. The residue of pain kept her from reaching her hand out. Think of disappointment as a pinprick. It hurts. And when we experience a disappointment of faith variety, that many of us stop reaching our hand toward God and we pull it back. We can identify why we don't completely trust, we can't identify why we completely don't trust God, but our dormant disappointment keeps us from reaching out in faith. If you're going to experience the miraculous, you have to confront the dormant disappointments in your past. Remember the man who said to Jesus, I believe, just help my unbelief? That's all of us, isn't it? We experience an eternal tug of war between belief and unbelief. And my hope is that these sermons tug you toward the miraculous. And that's precisely why John writes the gospel of miracles, if you will. But these are written that you may believe, John 20 and 31, that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John 3 and 1, now there was a Pharisee. A man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. For nearly 30 years, the one who had crafted the universe with his voice crafted furniture with his hands. He was good at what he did, no crooked table, No crooked table legs ever came out of the carpenter's shop in Nazareth. 
His miraculous powers rank as history's best kept secret for nearly three decades. But all that changed the day the water blushed in the face of its creator. The day the woodbender became a waterbender. Jesus manipulated the molecular structure of water and turned it into wine. Most scholars will tell you 757 bottles of wine, no less. And Bible says nothing but the best. This wasn't just wine, it was fine wine. Sometimes God shows up and sometimes God shows off. And that's what Jesus did on the third day of a wedding feast in Cana. And that was just the beginning. 34 distinct miracles are recorded in the Gospels, while countless more, the Bible says, are unrecorded. John's Gospel spotlights seven miracles, unveiling seven dimensions of Jesus' miraculous power, each miracle revealing God's glory. But this is more than a series on miracles. It's a sermon about the one and only one who can perform them. So let me offer a word of caution at the outset. Don't seek miracles. Follow Jesus. Don't seek miracles. Simply follow Jesus. And you follow Jesus long enough and far enough, you'll eventually find yourself in the middle of some miracles. See, everyone wants a miracle, but here's the catch. No one wants to be in the situation that necessitates one. Of course, you can't have one without the other. The prerequisite for a miracle is a problem. And the bigger the problem, the greater the potential for a miracle. On, January, on a January morning in 2007, a world-class violinist played six of Johann Sebastian Bach's most stirring concertos for the solo violin on a 300-year-old Stradivarius worth $3.5 million. Two nights before Joshua Bell had performed a sold-out concert where patrons gladly paid $200 for the nosebleed section. This time, his performance was free. Bell ditched the tux, donned a baseball cap. He stepped into Washington's metro. He took up a corner space. Chris, he grabbed that $3.5 million Stradivarius violin and began to play. For almost 90 minutes, Joshua Bell played a violin. Where two nights later, people would pay $200 to see the same guy play on the same violin, but in the middle of this busy intersection. People going about their life, going from point A to point B, going from job to job, going from destination to destination, and their hurry and their bustle. They missed the guy in the corner playing a $3.5 million violin, one of the best the world will ever hear. One person did stop just for a second and was intrigued, and as people passed by, as they normally do, dropped and changed, $37.12 was given to Joshua Bell that day. But everyone missed. Everyone missed one of the greatest violinists to ever play right in their face. 
I wonder how many times we go through life each and every day and miracles are happening around us. Things are happening. God is performing. Great things are transpiring all around us and we miss them. We miss the miracle each and every day and God's saying, I I just did something for you. I, I just performed this for you. I just did this amazing thing in your world and you missed it. How many times does that happen? On an average workday, nearly a million passengers ride Washington Metro system. One of the busiest stop, a stampede of tourists, government employees, but they missed it. If we don't have a moment to stop and listen to the, one of the greatest musicians in the world playing some of the finest music ever written on one of the most beautiful instruments ever made, how many similarly sublime moments do we miss out on a normal day? I wonder how many days go by and we fail to give credit who made something miraculous happen. Remember the old adage, beauty is in the eye of the beholder? It's true of everything, isn't it? But it's especially true of miracles. Miracles are happening all around us all the time, but you won't see them if you don't know how to look for them. Christopher Chabry and Daniel Simons conducted an experiment at Harvard University more than a decade ago. And it became famous in psychology circles. Can I show you the study? And if I show you the study, will you follow along with the instructions? We're going to show you the study. I want you to follow along with the instructions, and at the end, I'll explain. Go ahead, show them the study. Times the players wearing white pass the basketball. How many passes did you count? How many did you count? 14. The correct answer is 15 passes. But did you see the gorilla? So many times that's how we go through life. We get caught up. And what I have to do, and what I have to go through, where I have to go, I have to hurry and get the kids off to school. I have to do the list on the grocery list. I have to accommodate those in my life when we miss the miraculous happening all around us. How is that possible? How do we miss the gorilla in the room? The short answer is inattentional blindness. is the failure to notice something in your field of vision because you're focused on something else. In this case, people in white shirts passing basketballs. The first century Pharisees make an even better case study. They were so focused on the Sabbath law that they couldn't see the miracles happening right in front of their eyes. Jesus healed an invalid who hadn't walked in 38 years, gave sight to a man born blind, restored a man's withered arm, but the Pharisees missed the miracle and missed the Messiah because they were blinded by their legalism. They couldn't see past their religious assumptions. One of the truest tests of spiritual maturity is seeing the miraculous in the monotonous. Miraculous in the monotonous. When was the last time you made snow angels in the freshly fallen snow? Or watched the sunrise in an act of worship? 
or marveled over a sleeping child, stared in the starry night sky, or relished the laugh of a loved one. God has wired us in such a way that we're hypersensitive to new stimuli, but over time the cataracts of the customary cloud our vision. We lose our awareness of the miraculous, and with it the awe of God. I'm telling you, miracles are happening every day. You may feel as if you're sitting here right now, sitting still, but it's an illusion of the miraculous proportions. See, planet Earth is spinning around its axis at the speed of 1,000 miles per hour. Every 24 hours, planet Earth pulls off a celestial 360. We're also hurling through space at an average velocity of 67,108 miles per hour. That's just faster, it's not just faster than a speeding bullet. That's 87 times faster than the speed of sound. So even on a day you feel like you didn't get much done, don't forget that you did travel 1,599,793 miles through space. If that isn't miraculous, I don't know what is. Yet when was the last time you thanked God for keeping us in orbit? I'm guessing never. Lord, I wasn't sure we'd make through full rotation today, but you did it again. Thank you, God. Because we don't pray that way. And that's the ultimate irony. We already believe God for the big miracles like they're no big deal. The, the tricks trusting him for the little ones. Like healing an incurable disease. Finding Mr. Right or Miss Right. Opening a deadbolt door of opportunity. Or getting us out of what seems like an insurmountable debt. Compared to keeping the planets in orbit, how big is your biggest dream? How bad is your worst problem? How difficult is your greatest challenge? See, you don't have to look to a, through a telescope to spy the miraculous. You can put it under a microscope too. Trillions of chemical reactions are taking place in your body every second of every day. Your brain is performing up to 10 quadrillion calculations per second using only 10 watts of power. A computer would require a gigawatt of power produced by a nuclear power plant to pull off the same performance. Yet I know people, and you do too, who say they've never experienced a miracle. Nothing could be further from the truth. You have never not experienced a miracle. You aren't just surrounded by a miracle, you are one. See, keep looking under that microscope. Things are about to get even more interesting. If your personal genome sequence was written out longhand, it would be a three billion word book. The King James Version of the Bible has 783,137 words, so your genetic code is the equivalent of nearly 4,000 Bibles. And if your personal genome sequence were an audio book and you read at the rate of one double helix a strand of DNA per second, it would take you nearly a century to put you into words. Psalms 139. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't know. I don't know if you're looking for the miraculous. I don't know what you got up this morning searching for, but I want you to know you are a walking miracle today. We are living in miracles each and every day. <laughs> Psalms 139, some of the most poetic and prophetic words in the Bible. There's maybe some of the oldest. In fact, most scholars will tell you that Adam was probably the first one to say this. David got to write it. If that's true, then 
history of humankind, every moment of every day, we experience the miraculous of both the microscopic and the macroscopic scale. Miracles are happening all around us all the time, but the greatest miracle is the one you see in the mirror. There never has been and never will be anyone like you. Of course, that's not a testament to you. That's a testament to God who created you. The singest greatest miracle is the forgiveness of sins made possible through the crucifixion and resurrection of the sinless son of God. There's no close second. That miracle is available to anyone at any time. And it's the only miracle we must experience if we want to spend eternity with the heavenly father. But the miracle of salvation isn't the finish line, it's the baseline. And John 2, water molecules recognize the voice of the one who called them into existence. Like every atom in the universe, they submit to his ultimate authority. And John 4, Jesus heals a nobleman's son long distance, revealing the lordship over the latitude and longitude. Then in John 5, he reveals his mastery over chronology, reversing 38 years of pain, suffering with one command. In John 6, Jesus introduces a new miraculous equation. 5 plus 2 equals 5,000 with the remainder of 12. His encores waltzing across the waves of the Sea of Galilee. In John 9, there's more to the miracle than meets the eye. Jesus doesn't just heal a blind man's eye. He hardwires a blind man's brain by creating a synaptic pathway between his optic nerve and visual cortex. And just when you think you've seen it all, then Jesus turns a tomb into a waiting room. In John 11, Jesus robs the grim reaper by calling Lazarus out of the tomb four days after he has died. As Oliver Wendell Holmes said, when a person's mind stretched by a new idea and never returns to its original dimensions, I want to be stretched and I want to stretch this church. Our explanations of the miracles will stretch your mind, but I pray it will also stretch your faith. The miracles of Jesus are more than facts of history. Every miracle is a microcosm that just don't reveal what Jesus did past tense, but they reveal what he wants to do in your life present tense. What he's done before you, what he's done before he wants to do again. And if you do it with the disciples in the Bible, God will do it with you. Turning water into wine was epic. It was just the beginning. It seems that each of the seven miracles in John's Gospels is more amazing than the last one. Each one reveals a little more power, a little more glory. And when you experience a miracle, the way you steward it is by believing God even for bigger and greater things. There are days, and then there are days that define the rest of your life. Whether it's graduation day, a wedding day, a birthday, the day your children are born, 34 distinct miracles are recorded in the Gospels. This syllabus excludes the big three, the conception, resurrection, and section of Christ. John himself notes that the very last verse of the gospel that countless other miracles didn't make the sports center top 10 of miracles. But John chooses seven miraculous highlights, four of which are only found in the gospels bearing his name. Each of those seven signs reveals a new dimension of God's power, of God's personality. There's something huge you gotta understand. Jesus confounded the teachers of his day at 12 years old. Luke 2 and 47 says for 18 years, he, he was kept quiet. 2 and 47, he confounds the teachers. And for 18 years, you don't hear about Jesus. If I had superpowers, I would, they would be on display. Maybe that's it. His greatest ability was to wait. It was that same patience that kept him on the cross. 
Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Never underestimate the power of a well-timed compliment. It has the power to change a person's entire perspective on life. It has the potential to change a person's plot line for eternity. The right word at the right time can be the catalyst for someone else's miracle. The 12-year-old Jesus was what was what was said about him. And just like his mother, he treasured those words. And he had these visions, these aspirations of what was going to be. Jesus, you're going to do something great someday. Because that's the way we talk to our 12-year-olds. In just a few weeks, they're going to be 12. And we, we say, you're going to be great someday. You're going to do great things. And we speak those into existence. Because if you look back on your own history, you'll discover the destiny that leaves clues. Architects built cities out of Legos. The saleswoman sold enough Thin Mints Girl Scout cookies to feed the entire country. Entrepreneurs cornered the lemonade stand market on their cul-de-sac. Entertainers owned, owned it in Guitar Hero. And teachers set up a makeshift blackboards and lectured their stuffed animals. The door of the future cracked open when Jesus was 12, but he went off the grid for 18 years. Running out of wine might have seemed like a minor problem in the grand scheme of things, but in the first century Palestine, it would have resulted in public shame. I love the fact that the first miracle of Jesus is not about saving a life, it's about saving face. God is great, not just because nothing too big, but God is great because nothing is too small. If it's a big deal to you, then it's a big deal to God. The right words spoken at the right time can echo for eternity. I remember my Sunday school teacher, I've been going to church all my life, and I remember my Sunday school teacher, we would have a class, and they'd be in there, and they'd be talking, and I would come in, and I'd have my memory verse memorized. I'd have it all down. I would say it. I would quote it every week. I was that kid. I wanted a star on my chart. That was me. I carried my Bible in. I wanted to do that. And my teacher said to me that day, I'll never forget what he said. He said, Robbie, you're going to be a preacher someday. And I received that. I took that in. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know how it was going to happen. And in fact, there was a time in my life that I turned that away and I pushed that aside because I didn't want to do that. But he spoke that in my life. But a well-timed word can change someone's life. And we're preaching about miracles today because I want you to know that there's miracles happening all around you and that this well-timed word is just to get you to recognize what God has already done and what God is currently doing and that maybe you're looking for these big, grandiose things, but God is doing things each and every day in your life. You are an undercover prophet strategically positioned by God to speak grace and truth. When you do, it sets the stage for miracles to happen. It may only take one word of encouragement. But let me bring it closer to home. If you have children and you are more than a parent, you're a prophet to your children. No one knows them, loves them, or believes in them like you do. The seven miracles in John's gospel reveal the range of God's power from our human vantage point. They seem to go from easy to difficult. Maybe I should say from impossible to impossibler. Turning water into wine is more than a minor league magic trick, but it's not as difficult as resuscitating a dead body. It's been de decomposing for four days. So the miracles seem to get progressively harder, but remember, to the infinite, all things are restricted, are equal. There's no easy, there's no difficult, no big, no small, no possible or impossible. To omnipotent God, there are no degrees of difficulty. Anything is possible. Nothing is impossible. 
When I need a miracle, sometimes I tend to pray harder, louder, longer. I sometimes even pray in King James English, like a Shakespearean playwright. I pull out some Greek words. God's, he's unimpressed with our theological words or oratorical cadence. He hears our heart more than our words. He responds to our faith, not our vocabulary. Pastor Robbie, I've just, I've not witnessed a miracle. Man, I wish I had a mirror. I, I've just, I've not, I've not been exposed to a miracle. Man, I wish I had a mirror. Because every time you get out of bed and you look yourself in the mirror, you are staring at a miracle. Every time your feet hit the ground, you've never said, thank you, Jesus, for gravity today. We're living on a miracle today. Miracles are happening all around you each and every day. My prayer for you is that a word would hit you today and that you'd see God at work in your life right now. The greatest miracle, the greatest miracle is Calvary. Jesus' life, his death, burial, and resurrection, and that miracle of salvation for all of us. I want you to know today that if you've never given your life to Christ today, that you have an opportunity to do that. The greatest miracle, Jesus giving his life for yours and you saying yes to him. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around today. Maybe you've come to church today and for the first time, or maybe it's been a long time since you've been to church and You've heard this preacher scream about miracles and that miracles are happening all around us. You want to give your life to Christ. You want to be a part of the greatest miracle ever and that was Jesus Christ living, dying, and resurrecting for us. If you've never given your life to Christ or it's been a long time, when I count to three, just slip your hand in the air and drop it right back down. What you're saying is, Pastor Robbie, I want to be included in this prayer at the end. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. He gave his life for me, so I want to give my life to him. When I count to three, just throw your hand up in the air. Drop it right back down real quick. One, two, three. Hands up, hands up, hands up. I see the hand. Drop it down. Amen. Amen. All over this room, if you would, pray this prayer with me. Everyone say this out loud. Heavenly Father, I realize today that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Today, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Today, I give you my life. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Come on, clap your hands. Stand with me today. And John 5, verse number one says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which is Aramaic called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 
When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? And he said, sir, he replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Miracle. See, this guy, when Jesus come to him, he began to come up with a bunch of excuses of why he's not been healed. He says, I don't have anyone to put me in. And Jesus, he says, I don't have a person. I can't do this. I can't. And Jesus says, no, it's not about someone getting you there. It's about you finding it in me, the person, Jesus Christ. See, we can come up with a lot of excuses of why, why this is not happening, or why we can't get to where we need to go. And Jesus says, everything can be found in me. Everything you've been looking for for 38 years, you've been searching for 38 years, you've been sitting, but me, I'm here. The deliverer is here right now in this moment to give you what you need. Today, I don't know what, how long you've been searching. You've been going after it for a long time, but I've come to tell you on this Sunday morning, on this July 8, 2018, that everything is found in Jesus. And what you're looking for is found in him today. And if you'll simply receive all that he has for you, you'll realize that miracles are happening all around you each and every day. What we do every week at One Oak Church after every service, we take one more moment and we do what we do, another worship song. And then at each corner of the room here, we have what's our prayer team and they're gathering right now. And if you have a prayer need today, if you have something that you would like to agree with someone else to pray about, maybe it's a job that you're looking for. Maybe it's a miracle that you need in your life. Maybe you have a sickness and maybe a diagnosis that you've been given and you want to agree with somebody about that need. They've been praying with you about you all week. They've been praying for you. And so they want to pray with you today. If you'd like to come up around this altar this time around here and, and just worship one more time, we encourage you to do that today. But the band's coming to sing and play one more song and I'll be back.